Good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. We are in a series, yes, um, called the I Am Statements of Jesus. We are looking at these um, very familiar but consequential uh, statements where Jesus says things like, I am the, sh- the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the vine, I am the light of the world. What do these things mean? What is Jesus talking about, and why does it matter? What we've said in this series is that the God that we imagine is the God that we live with. The God that we picture in our heads, for better or for worse, is the God that we relate to. So if we have a faulty or false picture of God, either by our own theology or our history or education or the people that we've been around that have taught us about what God is like, all of those things influence the way that we understand who God is, and they impact the way that we relate to that God. So one of the reasons that Jesus came was to reorient our reality around who God actually is, who he is in truth. He is God in the flesh. Hebrews said he is the exact representation of his being. That Before we understood God through, through the Moses and the prophets, we, we, we kind of grasped and groped at aspects of what God is like. But now in Jesus Christ, God has fully revealed himself. And that's a lot of what Jesus is getting at when he says these I am statements. I am what God looks like. I am God in reality so that you can come to me and relate to the God of reality. Does that make sense? So that's what we're doing. Today we're going to be looking at I am the gate or the door for the sheep. Not I am the shepherd. That's next week and Pete's doing that. And I had to be very, very careful not to cross wires with that message. Because Pete's my friend, and I want him to continue preaching. (laughs) So we're looking at John 10, verses 1 through 10, which is going to be on page 748 of the Bibles that you have in front of you. Or you can look it up on your app, or if you have one of those paper Bibles yourself, you you can turn to John 10. John 10, verse 1 through 10 says this, Very truly I tell you Pharisees, I tell you Pharisees, remember that, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Let's skip to verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Some translations might say will be kept safe. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, this is the good news that we proclaim today, that Jesus is the gate that never shuts. And he is gathering to himself a community where the bullied and the vulnerable will find belonging and safety. His flock is one where everyone, even those who have been traumatized and stigmatized by other shepherds, are free to enjoy the fullness of God's protection and inclusion together. The door is open to all. Jesus lays his life on the threshold to hold the way open for you 
come and discover the abundant life. There is a story that happened earlier this week, and in order to tell it well, I need space to tell it because it's complicated. But I think it's important to, te- to, to tell this story because it in some ways includes and affects us as a church. And it also relates to the text that we're looking at today. You might not see how at first, but I promise. <laughs> I promise to connect the dots, okay? Earlier this week, there was a very consequential vote that happened at a very important meeting. It was at a meeting of the special council session of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the denomination that we are a member of. The executive committee is, um, is the highest sort of committee in the denomination. It represents the highest echelon of power and influence in the SBC. It governs the policies and procedures of the largest denomination in the United States today. And the reason that they gathered was to decide uh, the level of access that a third-party investigation would be given into looking into accusations that it, the executive committee, have a history of sweeping allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct under the rug. I know this is triggering for many of us, and I apologize for that. I should have given a a warning before we went here. The accusations are that there there are decades of hiding perpetrators and protecting its own power. In order to understand this meeting, you have to understand the, the full sort of gathering of the Southern Baptist Convention, which happened back in June of this year. At that meeting, representatives called messengers of the 15,000 churches in the SBC voted. They took a vote. There was a motion and a vote. And that vote overwhelmingly decided to put together both a task force to spearhead this investigation, and it also, and this is key, gave that task force a clear mandate, a clear mandate to give an independent third party full access to the executive committee's dealings. They said, we want, we want a non-biased, non-partisan entity who does this work with integrity and respect to, to look into every, leave no stone unturned, including having access to things that are considered confidential or sheltered by attorney-client privilege. We want access to everything. The message was, we want to root this out. We want to tear it up. We want to uncover every trace of abuse for the sake of the survivors and for those who might continue to suffer at the hands of church leaders who would prey on them. This meeting this week was supposed to, it was supposed to enact the will of those churches that wanted the SBC's highest committee to be held accountable for the ways that it had allowed abuse to flourish under their noses for decades. That is how it was supposed to go. What actually happened was something altogether different. The key vote that I mentioned on whether to waive attorney-client privilege and allow investigators full access to who knew what and when, it failed by a margin of two to one. You see, many of the executive committee members 
were convinced or had convinced themselves that allowing full access was just too risky. One member was quoted as saying, during the meeting on live stream, if there is a pedophile out there, we want that out. But we cannot do that at the expense of the convention. There was an audible gasp after he said that. In other words, we want justice for the abused, but only if it doesn't cost us too much. This vote occurred with several of the survivors in the room who had come to give testimony, stating that waiving privilege was the only way to know just how deep the cancer goes and to finally, finally give them justice and healing that they had experienced from this executive committee and many other influential people, gaslighting and neglect and turning a blind eye to their pain. The failed vote prompted one survivor to tweet this. The SBC Executive Committee continues tactics that prove nothing more than this to me. I don't matter to them. My life doesn't matter. My sisters don't matter. I hate living in a world like this. Jesus, please take me home or bring relief. Is there relief for survivors like Hannah Kate and Jennifer Lyell and Tiffany Thigpen and Jules Woodson and the multitude of others who've endured intimidation and gaslighting in response to their calls for justice? As I said, this, uh, this is a triggering story for many of us. I know that. I know you. And I know that for a lot of you, this story actually does resonate. And maybe you've experienced something similar. And maybe you've experienced not maybe the same kind of trauma that these women have, but uh, some sort of othering by people in religious circles who should have welcomed you in, saw your pain created a place of safety and belonging for you to exist. That's what should have happened. But the message that you got in return was that you weren't valued, that you weren't wanted, that you were somehow damaged goods. Perhaps people with power have explicitly or implicitly said in no uncertain terms, you don't belong here. Will someone, anyone, Hear the cry of these precious sisters and others like them who have been cast aside again and again and again to protect the status quo. Does anyone hear their cries? Yes. His name is Jesus. And we proclaim that he is the gate that never shuts. He sees all that happens to his sheep. And he is gathering to himself a community where the bullied and the vulnerable find belonging and safety. His flock is one where everyone, even those who have been traumatized and stigmatized, are free to enjoy the fullness of God's protection and inclusion together. The door is open to all, friends. Jesus himself lays his life on the threshold to hold the way open for you. Come and discover the abundant life. I know what you're thinking. Jay has finally lost it. Maybe you're thinking it's important, I'm sure, to talk about stories like this, stories of abuse and neglect. It's high time. I mean, the Church Too movement and the Me Too movement have told us, like, it's about time, right? But, and this is, I, th I think, a, a, a valid question, 
what in the world does this have to do with Jesus declaring that he's the gate for the sheep? (laughs) I've never read it this way before. Isn't John 10.10, when Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, isn't that Jesus' sales pitch to get us into heaven? What does it have to do with this? If that's our reading of John 10.10 and the previous verses that come before it, um, it is due to the fact that our tendency, which we've come by honestly, is to read each of these Jesus I Am statements in isolation of the context in which they were written, yeah? So we read Jesus saying, I am the gate for the sheep, and we go, oh, that's nice. I guess I'm a sheep, and the gate is the golden gates to heaven, and Jesus says that if I believe in him and and come to him, that I'll get to pass through those pearly white gates, right? I mean, that's... That's the way I was taught this. The problem with that, though, is that when we read it that way, when we strip it from its context, we lose its meaning. We lose the gravity of what Jesus is trying to say to the sheep and to those who would rob the sheep. It's kind of like this. If I told you, without context, my sister flew up to see me, and you had no idea that we lived on the east coast of the United States, that my sister lives in Florida, that there are things called airplanes. If you stripped away all of the context, and I just said to you, my sister flew up to see me, and you were from a a primitive society, you know, 2,000 years ago, you would think to yourself, like, were you in the air that she had to fly up? How did she get up there? What did she use to fly? Does she have wings? Do people evolve that way in the 21st century? Like, how, how does any of this occur, you know? What do you mean she flew up to see you? The context gives us the lens to understand the statement. And here's the issue. None of us live in first century Judea, right? No one's a time traveler here? Anyone? You wouldn't tell us if you were, you know? Which means, though, because we, because we don't understand the cultural cues, we need to... We need to look at the story to help us fill in the parts that we can't see because we have blinders on. Does that make sense? Last week, what we discovered is that Jesus, when he said, I am the light of the world, he didn't say it in a vacuum. He said it in relation to an event. You remember that event? What was the event? It was the healing of the blind man that Jesus found outside of the temple and he rubs mud in his eyes and makes him well. As it turns out, John 10 happens just after John 9. I know. Um, But that's the order of things. And and this statement that we've come to today comes in the midst of a debate that he's having with the Pharisees. Remember I said, remember, Jesus said at the very beginning, truly I tell you, Pharisees? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. And he's having a debate with them as a result of having healed that same blind man. This is, the, this is the conversation he's having with them because of the work of the blind man. So, just recap real quick. The man was healed on the Sabbath by someone who equated himself to God. Yeah? The Pharisees interrogate this man's family, and then they intimidate and bully the man himself. And when that man gives his testimony that Jesus is from God, despite their objections, because how else 
could he have healed me? The religious leaders lose their ever-loving minds and they throw him out. They excommunicate him from the temple system. He is no longer allowed to be there. That's what it means to be cast out. Now, Jesus, hearing that the man was excommunicated from the temple, he goes to him, and apparently some of the leaders anticipated that this might happen because they apparently followed the blind man after they kicked him out to see if he was going to meet up with Jesus again. Because Jesus starts talking to the blind man, or the man formerly known as blind, and invites him to come into this new community that he's built. But then, then he turns, John 10, 1, to who? The Pharisees. And he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Okay, pop quiz. Who is the gate? We'll start easy. Jesus. All right, we're used to that answer. Who is the sheep? Us, yes, but in the context of this particular story. The blind man. Who are the thieves and robbers? The Pharisees. Jesus is the gate. The man who he healed is the sheep. And the thieves and robbers who've robbed that man are the Pharisees. Why does this matter? It matters because we often read this text as if Jesus is giving a sales pitch for heaven. I am the gate, and if you pray a particular prayer, then that gate is open to you. But if you don't pray that prayer, then that gate shuts. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that gate, do you? And this is the way we evangelize our children. We read this statement as though it's a statement of exclusivity. You can't get in unless, right? I submit to you that that interpretation makes utterly no sense given the context of the situation. Because one thing, Jesus is talking about the man, but he's not talking to the man. He's talking to the religious leaders who bullied him. Another thing, Jesus says nothing about that gate ever being closed. Ever. And for a third thing, Jesus says nothing about heaven, but he promises safety and life to abused sheep. So what in the world then is Jesus saying in the context of the way that this man has been bullied and othered by the religious leaders who were supposed to take care of him and protect him? Can I take a crack at it? I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, you, you can get up and leave, but I'm going to, you know, I, I don't know what I would do if everybody left, but I'm not Jesus, but given the context, given everything that we've talked about so far, I think this gets at the heartbeat of it, okay? He says this, you religious leaders like to think that you are the shepherds of God's people, but the truth is you've robbed this man, and you've been stealing from people like him. You robbed them of their dignity, of their worth, and of their belonging in God's family. In fact, every gatekeeper who's held the masses at bay for the sake of their own power are thieves and robbers. You've protected yourself, not the sheep. But I am the gate for the sheep. 
and I want you to know that I'm putting an end to all your thievery. I'm building a community for people just like him. And, and in, in my flock, they'll be so well-loved, so well-protected, so well-valued that they won't even recognize your voice anymore. I am the gate whose doors never shut. I am the door for the sheep who've been bullied, othered, and mistreated. I am the safe place that they've longed for their entire lives but never known because of you. Jesus isn't giving a sales pitch. He's giving a promise of protection and belonging. He's staking his claim on Israel's marginalized sheep. He's saying they belong to me now. You can't harm them anymore. It's not an announcement of exclusivity meant to keep the bad people out. It's an, it's a, it's an announcement of God's inclusivity to bring all the outsiders in. To give those who've been abandoned and manipulated by the religious industrial complex of their day a community and a home that cannot be taken from them. The man was born blind and he was dislocated from his community because of his disability and because of his uncleanliness. He spends his life begging for money and for food. And when he's healed, the leaders who should have welcomed him back with open arms cast him out as a pariah. And the little that he had was taken away from him. And yet by the end of the story, what happens to this man? He's welcomed into a relationship with Jesus and with others who see him as someone who's full of of dignity and worth and value. Friends, we proclaim today that Jesus is the gate that never shuts, who sees all that has happened to his sheep, And he is gathering to himself a community where the bullied and the vulnerable find belonging and safety. His flock is one where everyone, even those who've been traumatized and stigmatized, are free to enjoy the fullness of God's protection and inclusion together. The door is open to all. Jesus himself lays his life on the threshold to hold the way open for you. Come and discover the abundant life. How do we respond to this? I've been asking myself that all week. I think if you resonate with the story of this healed man, or if you resonate with the story of the survivors that I talked about earlier, If that is your story, then please don't leave this room without hearing this message directly from the Holy Spirit. You are seen. You are loved. You belong. You are safe in the flock and care of Jesus, even if you have not been safe in his church. Would you dare to trust this gate for your safety? Would you um, take the risk of being known and seen and loved for who you are? See, to, to come in and go out and find pasture, Jesus uses this phrase. It's a Hebrew idiom 
that means essentially to live freely in relationship to a supportive community. It's to be able to come and go as you please without fear and without shame. And this, this is my great hope, that God would allow us to be and to build a community of safety and belonging where you get to be who you are and you get to own where you are so that you can encounter Jesus as you are. Now, I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know. Um, Part of the reason why I don't know if we're there yet is because I am not in that camp to tell us we're there. It'd be one thing for me as a leader to be able to go, this is the kind of community that we, that we want to build, and this is the kind of community that we have. But if othered and abused have a different story, guess whose story is the correct one? Not mine. Theirs. Only those who have experienced what this man has experienced get to determine whether or not a community is a safe place. And part of what that means is, if that's you, then I need your help. I need your eyes and your ears and your story. And if you deem me a a safe person to entrust those things to, I will do my absolute best to meet you in that space. What about those of us who can't relate to this story? Because we've never been on the wrong end of abusive power. I think, I think the message is twofold. One part of that message to, to us in terms of how we respond, if we're, if we're like, man, this sucks, but I, I, it's not my personal experience. I can't fully relate to someone who's gone through this kind of thing. Our first response, I think, should be to understand that we are all welcome in Jesus' community. It doesn't matter what end of the power spectrum you've found yourself on. You're welcome in Jesus' community. So long, so long as you and I welcome those like this man and like those women. So long as we make space for those that are othered. I mean, these are the kind of people that Jesus referred to as the least of these. This is it. And so when we welcome them, when we acknowledge their pain, when we tell the truth about their injustices, we do that work as unto the Lord himself because Jesus is the gate and Jesus always stands with and for them. If we want to be on Jesus' side, we need to be on their side. And so let's stand with Jesus as he stands with them, yeah? I've been praying for an imagination about what that looks like. I have no earthly idea. (laughs) But I want one, and I hope you do too. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I don't think we just have a responsibility to stand on the side or to claim that we're on the side of those that have been othered, I think we have a greater responsibility. Because if if we found that we have any sort of power influence ourselves, 
then I think the message is this. Jesus, in referring to himself as the gate, was referencing um, what shepherds would do for their sheep when they led them outside of the city to pasture in dangerous places. There's evidence of this, that when the shepherd would lead his flock outside of the city, there are dangerous things out there. There are wolves and there are um, cliffs. And, um, and so one of the things that they would do is that they would build a, a makeshift fence around the flock. And that fence would have an opening. And they didn't have the materials to make like a functioning gate. And so what they would do is they would lay their lives down at the threshold. They would lay across the entrance. Not to keep the sheep in, but to keep the wolves out. The sheep could come and go as they pleased, but if they ever felt like their lives were in jeopardy, they could come home, step over the, the threshold, and the wolves would have to get through the shepherd to get them. And I think if we find ourselves in, a, in circles where we have any kind of influence, any kind of um, relational power, then that means that Jesus' declaration that he is the gate for the sheep means that, that we, in following him, must lay whatever influence we have on the line just as Jesus does to do what the executive committee seems so unwilling to do. Because we don't just welcome abuse victims. We go to bat for them. We tell the truth about the pain. And we, and we use whatever influence we have to put an end to it, right? To those that have been cast aside and cast out, Jesus says, come, I am the gate. I lay my life on the threshold to make a way for you to belong, a way for you to be safe. But Jesus' word to us, to me, is to come and join me on the threshold. Don't rob people of their dignity, their belonging, or their rightful case for justice. Yes. But don't let those who continue to steal do so if you have the power to bring it to an end. Lay your life and your privilege down for the full inclusion of each and every sheep, especially the hurting ones. I, I don't know all the ways to do that, to be frank with you. I know one way. <clears throat> um, one of the messengers in the SBC has set up a website. And you can go to this Google form, and you can identify yourself and your church that you're a part of, and you can send a message directly to the seven trustees of the executive committee. It will email every single one of them with one click. I'm going to post the link to do that today on the Realm. And so if you'd like to join me in sending a, a message, I encourage you to do that. That's one way. I'm sure there are a thousand more, and I just don't know what they are right now. Maybe you do, and you could help me. I would love to have that conversation. But first, we proclaim good news today, yeah? 
Is this good news? I hope it's good news. I really do. Jesus is the gate that never shuts. He is the gate who sees all that has happened to his sheep. And he is gathering to himself a community where the bullied and the vulnerable find belonging and safety. His flock is one where everyone, especially those who have been traumatized and stigmatized, are free to enjoy the fullness of God's protection and inclusion together. The door is open to all. Jesus lays his life on the threshold to hold the way open for you. Come and discover the abundant life. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this particular situation, there are hundreds if not thousands of others that might come to our mind at the very same moment. Abuse survivors aren't the only ones that have been othered. We could name stories in the news or in our own experience <clears throat> of countless other people, minorities and immigrants that have experienced the same thing. Maybe we're on that list. Jesus, we thank you that you go to bat for us and you lay your life on the threshold for our behalf if that is our story. You go to the robbers in our name, in our place, and say no more. So we remember those that have been on the wrong side of power. We remember Hannah Kate and Jennifer Lyell, Stephanie Thigpen, Jules Woodson, and all the others that you know by name and by face. We thank you that you are their gate, their safe place. Holy Spirit, would you make us a safe place too? In Jesus' name, amen.